we are, back, we are in the book of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 15, verses 21 through 28 is where we are. If you don't have a Bible, slip your hands up. The ushers will grab them for you. This is an interesting set of, of Scripture, and I wanted to kind of, we're going to do something a little bit different today, so just stay with me on this. I wanted to, to we're going to read this text, and we're going to talk about it. I think that Jesus is, is kind of bringing two really large things that seem somewhat disconnected at first to light, and then what I wanted to do instead of just read the story, talk about this text, I wanted to actually bring up someone and share their personal story. And then at the end, we'll, we'll tie it all together. And I, I feel like it's, it's really, really good a lot of times to get into the text and to, to study it and to, to work through it word by word. And, and a lot of times I feel like if we have an actual personal story to go along with that, a lot of times it kind of gets its teeth sunken in and we can, we can own it a little bit more. And so we're in, we're in Matthew and Jesus has, has kind of come out of doing a bunch of huge miracles. We've experienced him walking on water and, and the disciples finally declaring him the son of God. And, and he's been doing all these things and he's been going at it for quite a while, at least what we have. And, and some of the events are, are out of order, at least in Matthew. But either way, he's been spending a lot of time healing people, teaching and running from synagogue to synagogue or, or on the hillside or doing ma- massive miracles. And he's, he's been just doing that over and over and over again, kind of around the Sea of Galilee in that, in that country with all of the Jewish people. Well, he has, in essence, kind of decided it looks like it, to seem like he's going to take a vacation. So that's where we are right now. So if you have Bibles, verse 21 is where we're going to pick up. So Jesus, uh, Jesus went from there. So there was Sea of Galilee where he just spent some time talking about what defiles a person in the heart. And so Jesus just left there and headed off, um, drew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And these are, now, this is just north of the Sea of Galilee. It's about 25 miles, so it was not a quick journey. But I, you gotta, I gotta, you got to picture this. this is, it's southern Lebanon today, but it is gorgeous on the Mediterranean Sea, okay? It is absolutely beautiful. I've been there. The, 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 sea, the warm, warm water and the sand is beautiful. Like, they're headed kind of, in my mind, on a vacation. Like, they're leaving the dry, desolate desert, and they're going to go to the, the hill country. There's a lot more timber in this area. This, this area is, is kind of known by most of the Jews, and, and, and you see it throughout text where Jesus even relates to that city as a city of those cities as cities that are pagan, cities that hold horrible beliefs or, or wrong beliefs and, and are definitely not a part of God's chosen people. They're Gentile. They're, they're a bunch of other regions out of it. And so they're, they're kind of taught as this is a pagan place. This is a horrible place. Kind of like we get out of Sodom and Gomorrah sometimes. Like, don't be like those people. And so this is, this is the cities where he's headed. It's not in, under Roman rule and it's not actually spent any time um, or it's not under the Jewish rule either. Although there were times at which um, the, the Jews had gone up there and kind of captured and taken over and one. But either way, at this point, it's, it's not. It's just its own region out there. And so from what it seems like is the disciples are getting that much-deserved summer break. You know, they're headed to the beach. They've been tired. It's like been working with Jesus. They're learning a lot. It's like summer break from school. So like, all right, let's go. Let's go take a break. Now, in, in rabbis' terms, they wouldn't have just stopped teaching. So you can probably presume, although we don't have it, that Jesus spent some good time in these conversations of the journey, continuing to teach the disciples and took advantage of the, the space that he had where he didn't have massive amount of crowds around him. And so he, he makes his way up there, 25-mile journey. It's, it would have been a long journey. It wouldn't have been quick. It was hard, hard terrain to get through. And they, they arrive and they get there. And so that's verse um, 21. There was uh, the, something else. There's great wealth in this area. They had um, dyes, these rock dyes that were kind of only in this specific area that they would bring paints and dyes to all kinds of different things and dye 
glass. They did a lot of metal work up there. This was like this was a very wealthy pagan area. Okay, there was lots of timber that wasn't very much. Um, there wasn't very much of it in, in Israel, and they actually had really, really great stone, stone workers there. And, and you can see Solomon in his day, he, he used their stone workers to build some of the things, to build the temple, because they were super, super talented at it. But yet still, there was a lot of hostility there. These were people that they didn't agree with, and they didn't see highly, and, and both of them knew it. it wasn't, there was no confusion as to whether or not it was okay or amicable. Most people knew that this was, this was not good. And so that's where Jesus is headed. He's headed to this region where he's, it's not under the Herod's rule, and maybe he's just getting away from some of the heat and the opposition because the, the Jerusalem Pharisees were just down and, and, and visiting him and kind of confronting him. And so he's, he's just kind of taking a little breather. And so he heads out. Verse, verse 25, or verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Uh, Canaanite woman, this just says she's, hey, she's from this area. Now, a Canaanite person or woman would have been about as low as you could possibly think in terms to a Jewish person. Like, they did not view any value to them. And so when Jesus gets into this place, she's crying out. So she's yelling at a loud, loud voice, and she's doing it over and over and over again. So this text just says she's crying out, so it's like we hear it once, and, and it happens. But, but really, the way that this text flows and what's happening is, is Jesus, she's coming out and kind of like they're walking somewhere. They're moving somewhere, so she came out of their, their little village, and she sees him, which is really interesting, and it, it proved kind of to how much news and word of Jesus has spread because up in this region they had known about who he was and these are people that predominantly had little to no Jewish upbringing they didn't understand much of anything when it came to the Old Testament or what the Pharisees or laws were teaching in fact they spent most of their time um, worshiping a number of different gods predominantly the, the, the goddess of stone was kind of their biggest um, god that they would focus on and spend time and so they didn't have much understanding of who the Messiah was or, or what the Jews, other than they knew that, that they weren't a part of the Jewish people and that they knew that it was very clear that they were not one. And so she comes out crying out to them, comes out crying out. And what the first word she says is, is have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Give me something that I don't deserve. Have mercy on me. So she's yelling, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me over and over again she's saying and then she does something that is so unique that we can't just rush over she does she calls jesus two terms that the disciples the, the men that are around him right now that are working and grooming to being rabbis and apostles and, and teaching they're barely grasping it we just saw them finally declare that he is the son of god and we see him from here actually confused by it and what he's doing and so the disciples are walking with them, with Jesus, and they're kind of in this place, and they're kind of walking, and this lady's saying, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And then she, she does. She says, oh, Lord, son of David. She uses the messianic term for Jesus, meaning, oh, Lord, Lord, have mercy on me. Hey, Messiah, Messiah to, to the Jewish people, the, the chosen Messiah, the Savior and the Lord, have mercy on me. So she uses a term that really it doesn't make sense that she would have used it. Where did she learn this? How does she know it? But what she's doing when she says have mercy is it would be safe to assume that she had spent all of her energy, all of her time looking to the answers in and around her to solve the problem of her ill daughter. She would have spent a lot of time and energy resourcing, finding, and going, and, and maybe it was to this goddess or to this god or, or to this, we're going to practice this, this magic, we're going to try these, these arts, and nothing was freeing her daughter. So she had exhausted all of the things that she grew up and knew and she, in this one instance, is turning her back from all of that, risking re 
ridiculous isolation and, 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 and complete humiliation by running to the, the Messiah of the Jewish people. So she has turned her back on all of her pagan beliefs and says, he can do something. And so she comes out and says, have mercy on me. O Lord, son of David. She uses the term, so she comes out and shows us, she, she, she postures this amazing form of wit and, and um, humility and faith in, one, in this one interaction. It's, it's unbelievable what she does. And she says, she says, have mercy on me, son, Lord, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, in this day, they would say uh, there was definitely demon oppression. It was, it, it was ex it, a lot of it. We see Jesus it, dealing with it in a number of ways. But this way, the violently oppressed probably means that she was not just in some ways where they would say you're oppressed by a demon would be um, she was deaf or she was mute or she had some ailment. Violently oppressed means that she was probably exuding some things that weren't really great and somewhat embarrassing and most likely tried everything. And she's saying, have mercy on me, Lord. She comes out with an agenda. Have mercy on me, Lord. Heal my daughter. And if you're a parent and you have a sick kid, it's hard. If you're a parent and you have a really sick kid or, or you're struggling with something like that, it's, it's that much harder. And any parent, whether they believed in God or not, would do anything that they possibly could to try and help their child. And so she's coming to this one that she's heard murmurs of. She's heard about this, this, this work in Judea and what's going on down here. What, like, who is this guy? And, and, and he's here now. And so she's capitalizing on this moment. She's saying, Jesus, have mercy on me. Heal my daughter. Heal my daughter. And first time you read this text, it seems like Jesus is kind of a jerk. I just want to say that. Like, I'm just going to go out there. We'll, we'll talk about it in a second. But you, he, she comes out, declares him Lord, calls him the Messiah, pleads for mercy, and Jesus does, oh, come here. Let me, let me hug you. I love you. Let's do this. This is great. Okay, it's all done. No, you know what Jesus does? He does what's even worse than saying something mean to her or saying something mean. He is silent. He says, but he did not answer her a word. When I, when I read that, I struggled with this. Like, this doesn't seem like Jesus' character, right? Like, here's a, here's a woman in deep need, pleading, and she's actually kind of doing it the right way, at least on paper. It looks like it's being done the right way. Like, she's, she's pleading for mercy. She's calling him the, the, the Lord and the Messiah, and she's saying, help me for my daughter, and Jesus doesn't say a word. He doesn't say a word. And, and we have to assume, because of the, the one word that the disciples use after this, that this goes on for a little bit, that they keep walking. And you just picture this Canaanite woman going, please, help me, please. Hey, have mercy on me, son of David, have mercy on me. And she's just following, yelling. Now, if you're the disciples and you're ready to kind of, you know, pull out the lawn chair or the beach chairs, put your feet up, you know, have a little coconut and, and you know, taking some sun rays. You're like, you got your sunscreen out. You're ready for vacation. You're kind of going, come on, Jesus, like this person's creating a scene. And we just left an area where we could not find space alone. In fact, remember, we went across the lake and, and people ran the, the perimeter to be back where we were. So we never had any time alone. We're tired. We're on vacation. Come on, we got like good books to read. Good sun. I want some surfing. Like, look at this water. It's beautiful. So if you're the disciples, you're kind of maybe a little bit irritable, right? Like we, we, we left to get a break. And this, this journey's been nice, but I mean, it was hard work getting here, so I'm just kind of ready to sit down, take the sandals off, feel the little beach sand in my toes, and enjoy it. Like, why, you're ignoring this woman, and what's going to happen is if you are in that setting, 
in this way, you got to know that if some lady's yelling at the top of her lungs to a brigade of Jewish people, and she is a Gentile, it is going to draw attention. Every other person, it's like a train wreck, right? They're like, oh, what's going on over there? You know, like people are just kind of watching. And so you got to assume that people, whether there are a lot of them or a few of them, it's starting to draw attention as they walk because this lady's yelling over and over again, which in socially was not acceptable. The Jews and Gentiles did not mix. They did not like to mix. They did not, they had an equal disdain for each other, right? And then even that she was, she was being almost too outgoing as a woman this day was, was not shined on either. And so there's all these things that she's just like breaking the mold in a really cool way and coming out and saying, look, look, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And the disciples do something really unique. And this is why I think that Jesus isn't being a jerk, just to clear that up in case some of you guys are worried about that. But I think he's, he's, he's pulling to, to the top. He's pulling to the surface and putting on the table a couple wrong beliefs. And what he's going to do in one sentence, in one, one conversation with one person, is he's going to teach this group of people and this individual, and both are going to come out looking and understanding something greatly different than they would have before. And so what she says, she says, she pleads, have mercy on me. And this is where her wit comes in. I think she's pretty quick. Right? So, so the disciples say, and his disciples came and begged. That word beg means to, over, to ask over and over and over again. Now, that's pretty bold, Right? As a disciple, like, Jesus has already done a lot of miracles. You're like, hey, dude, Jesus, come on, buddy. Let's just heal us, dude. Come on, just take care of it. And I think it's worth noting that their begging isn't to send, when they say send her away, it's not that they say send her away and do nothing. In their mind, they're probably saying, Jesus, just fix the kid. You've done it before. Like, fix the kid. Let's go have a nice little bonfire on the beach. Fix the kid. Relax over here and get some sun rays. Like, come on, let's just do this. And it's like they're going, send her away. But then what's really interesting is you see the disciples and their pride and their entitlement step in by this one word they use. Because she claims, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Right? But then they say the exact same thing, but they, they change one word. He said, they said, send her away for she is crying out after us. She's crying out after us. So I don't know if Peter says that or James says that. It's like, wait, I almost feel like Jesus is like, wait, oh, you're the son of David? Interesting. Like, okay. So this has to do with you too? And so she, they say like, oh, it's like, come on, this is so annoying. She's creating a scene. I want to relax. Whatever her, their motivation is, they're, they're annoyed by the fact that she's speaking so much. And so they're begging, Jesus, just do something. Jesus, do something. Please, please do something. Do something. Just, just send her away. Like, whatever it may be. And I don't, I don't think the disciples are saying send her away and who cares about their daughter. But I don't, I don't think you could say that that's maybe 100% true because the disciples had a severe amount of entitlement as well as Jewish people. Even though we know, like Preston talked a few weeks ago, like they were not without their own issues. They still were of the people of Israel. And so no matter how many issues they had, they were the people of Israel. These were not. These were not the children of God descendants of Abraham, right? So, so maybe there was, but either way, they're like, send her away. She keeps calling out to us. And then Jesus answers them. But what's interesting is I think when, she, when he answers them, that you, you got to assume that maybe she hears this, like she's in close enough proximity. Because he says, he says, send her away. And then he says, send her away for she is crying out after us. And he, Jesus answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, I don't know if that would have made the Canaanite woman feel much better, right? First, the silence, and now basically saying, look, you're not a child of Israel, and that's who I was sent to. 
And I gotta, I gotta admit, when I first read this, I'm like, man, Jesus, like, I know you're without sin, but you're really borderline kind of being rude right now. Like, how is this going? And I think what's happening in this conversation is, is, is there are a number of ways that rabbinical um, teachings would happen. They would use all kinds of different versions. And I joked last week about Jesus and his sarcasm with the what defiles someone. Jesus doesn't use sarcasm. And actually, my friend Mike said this really well. He said, sarcasm is used usually to cut down and to hurt. Satire, however, is used to teach someone something. And so what I think Jesus is doing right now is he's, he's bringing some false beliefs to the table right now. And so he's going to use a little bit of satire, because you'll see it with the woman. They kind of have this little conversation. And then he's also going to, he's going to deal with his disciples that he's committed himself to teaching all at the same time, right? And so he, he's, going to, he's going to deal with all at once. So he, he does, says, I came for the lost people of Israel. Now, here's the thing. Praise Jesus that he did. Because if Jesus just came and started doing everything with everyone, then that would have made almost all of the prophecy in the Old Testament a lie. Right? Jesus was coming through the house of Israel. Right? He was going to come through the son of David. He was going to come in this way, and he was going to save and redeem the world through that. Now, we know, because we're sitting here years later, Matthew 28, 19, that it's, it's for all nations. It wasn't long, right? Jesus brings Saul in and turns him into Paul and says, all right, reach the Gentiles, right? And they just go crazy. And so it's all the world. So it's not, it's not some entitlement in that, that this is it. It's that he's on mission. His purpose and his role is to work towards the lost sheep of Israel. And out of that, then, he's going to reach more of the Gentiles. We also know that Jesus also healed a Gentile already, the centurion soldiers, soldier's daughter. Remember, he claims she has great faith, he has great faith and heals her daughter. So we know it's not that he's opposed to doing it, but he's just making sure that he's on mission and staying where he's at. And so he's saying, I came for the lost sheep of Israel. I also think it's safe to say that he said that loud enough so the Canaanite woman could hear it. I, I came for the lost, like he's talking to the disciples and she's over here and he's like, I came for the lost sheep of Israel. And so he's correcting those and, and I think if you're the disciples, you're like, yeah, you're right. You know what? That's exactly what you did. And as a child of God, good, we're good to go, right? And that's kind of where it is. And so then she does something amazing. And I feel like it's safe to say this. If this interaction from here on doesn't happen, like if, if nothing, let's say we don't have anything, there is no Canaanite woman other than this first part, I feel like this is one of those spots where we get Matthew's listen and understand or listen and hear. I feel like Jesus would have, okay, I'm going to teach you now. And I think what he's doing is he's doing an inductive method of teaching where he's walking them through this so that, hey, we're going to stumble through this so that at the end you'll really understand what I'm doing instead of just saying, Listen and hear. Understand what comes out of the mouth does not defile like he just did. I think we would have had another one of those statements here if this next conversation didn't happen. I really do believe that because Jesus wouldn't have left it just completely unanswered. Or he would have gone to a parable. He would have done something that would have brought something out of it, right? So he, he doesn't, though, because she does something unbelievable, right? So he says, I came for the lost children, lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt. That's to prostrate. She came and got down on her knees and her hands and put her head down before Jesus. She came in close proximity, got right down on her hands and knees and said, prostrate yourself, drop there. And she says three really beautiful words. And you've heard these words recently. In fact, these three words might have shaken a little bit of at least one of the apostles, right? Or one of the disciples. She says, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. She drops down, she acknowledges him as Lord again and comes to him and says, help me. Now what's different is, 
What's different here? She's saying, help me. She's coming in individually. You know where we've heard those three words? Peter. He was on the water. Right? He starts to sink. Lord, save me. And then that moment, Jesus reaches his hands out and grabs him. I feel like if you're Peter and all of a sudden you remember, like you'd flash back to that and go, oh, that was just, whoa. Wait, this Canaanite woman, this person that doesn't even have the Sermon on the Mount to go off of is already understanding him as the Messiah and she's dropping down and, and worshiping him and saying, Lord, help me. Now, it seems like to me, hey, she's declared him Lord and Messiah. She's been really stinking persistent and quite annoying, right? And now she's at this point where she's full on prostrating herself down in humility on the dirt before Jesus and she says, Lord, help me. Well, obviously Jesus is going to be like, let's do this, you know, pull her up, right? And like, okay, good job. You did it. Well done. No, that's not what he does. He answers her. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Jesus just called her a dog. And I was like, whoa, come on, Jesus. Like what? She did everything right. Why, why would you say that to her? And what he's basically saying is he's saying, look, it doesn't make sense for me to take the food from my child's mouth and give it to the house pet. Why would I starve the children when, when, for the house pet's sake? And so he's, he's engaging her at a spot which she would have known. Every Gentile knew that a Jew called them a dog. That was a common phrase. They understood it, that the Jews were the children and the Gentiles were dogs. And so he engages in this. Now, again, Jesus is full of grace and truth and without sin, and so I think he's using a bit of satire here. In fact, I think he's pulling up, like if the disciples are next to him going, oh, yeah, okay, that's right. He's making the point, like lost sheep of Israel, tribe of Israel, great, dog. Oh, yeah, so she's not a dog, or she's not a child, so obviously... We're in the right, and she's just annoying now. Great, Jesus, send her off now, and let's go back to the beach. I got the sunscreen right here. Right? And, and he's, he's saying, no, I can't do this. And this is where she's brilliant. She's brilliant. She engages in it. So I don't know, you know, sometimes when you can say something that's harsh, but you say it with a smile. You ever done that, you know? You're going to wear that today? You know, like, and you kind of, like, try and soften it some. Have you ever done that or you experienced that? I feel like there's a way in which you can posture yourself and say something that's a little bit hard, but you say it gently enough. And, and as Jesus, who is perfect in gentleness, I'm assuming he even maybe had a smile on his face when he did this. But why would I, why would I not feed the children of the house when given to the pet dogs? Right? He's engaging her in this conversation, all the while knowing that his audience isn't just her, it's the disciples around him. Okay? And so she says, she comes back with this just amazing huge statement and this is this is so big and she and he said it's not right she says yes lord she acknowledges it yes why would you give the food of the children to the dog absolutely i agree with you you are right and then she goes lord so she still postures in yes lord so she's got this immense humility right she's got this incredible humility and then this is where the wit comes in right wit, wit with a little bit of or a lot of bit of faith she says yes lord Yet, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I have three daughters. Like, that's a full meal at the end of it. Like, all the crumbs that are on the ground. Like, it's like, how does all that stuff end down there? Like, really, did you get any of it in your belly? But either way, that was free. So she, um, so he's saying, she says, even the dogs get to eat of the crumbs from their master's table. She's saying, yeah, no, no, Jesus, I'm not asking you 
to not give to the children, she comes in and says, she comes in with meekness and, and, a, and, a, and a posture that is exactly what he claims in the Sermon on the Mount. And she comes and says, I'm not worthy of to even sit at the table. I'm not asking for a place at the table. But even the house pets, they get the crumbs from the master. So what she's saying is she's saying, if you, and this is where her faith is, all I need from you, Jesus, is a crumb and my daughter will be healed. I don't need a place at the table. I don't need amazing things. I just need, just, just give me, just give me a little bit, just a small piece of crumb. Just a, just a little bit of you will go so far. And then Jesus says, really, really large statement back to her. He says, then Jesus answered her, oh woman. That's, a, that's an endearing term. It's not a, not a negative one. Not like a woman. Like, oh woman, great is your faith. You know what you don't see here? You don't see him turn to his disciples and, hey, Peter, you got good faith too, buddy. You see what he did? He said, oh, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Woman, great is your faith. And then he says, great is your faith. It is done for you as you desire. And your daughter and her daughter was healed instantly. Do you see what happened in this situation? He said, great is your faith. You know that Jesus marvels at two things in the New Testament, in the, in the Gospels we see. He marvels at lack of faith, and he marvels at great faith. And you know the only two times he's ever proclaimed great faith? This one right here, and the centurion soldier, two Gentiles. In fact, when he was marveling at little faith, he was always talking to the children of Israel. Even at times, just recently, Peter, little faith, buddy. You see what he's, he's, he's doing? He just, he just broke through the mold and said, look, you guys, you disciples, your entitlement is gone. You see it as this dog and you see it this way. And look what I just did as the author and perfecter instilled in her, tested this process in her, and look what came out, a pure and genuine faith. In fact, a lot of times I think God is, is, is taking his children through this. Hear this, and he's testing you. We have a verse for it, 1 Peter 1, 6-7. I read it a couple weeks ago. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, various trials, silence. God, where are you? Help me. Help me. Help me. God, come on. I, I, I want to I do this. Answer me. Let me know where you're going with this. Various trials. No, 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 you, you don't understand. What you're looking at from me is what you want from me, not me. You know, we do see Jesus seem somewhat frustrated. Again, he's without sin. When he talks to these people that want miracles done after ever, we want a sign, he's like, really? I mean, how many times do I have to do it? And so he's already at a spot where he's like, healing to just heal is pointless. Healing to just be free to that healing is pointless. I want you. I want you to want me, not, not what you can get from me. That's not real faith. Not that you can get a good job or find a, find a husband or a wife or you can have a kid or you can be relieved from this pressure in your life. I'm, like, look, all those I'll do as a good father, that's great, but I want you to want me. I want you to be instilled in your joy to be full in me. And it's like in that moment when she turned and said, Lord, help me, it became personal. It was still in, in motivated for, his chi- for a child. But we know because Jesus is perfect, he claims her faith is perfect. And then that genuine faith says, various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, right now, some of you, you've been, you've been crying out to God. 
have mercy on me, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, and you're not hearing anything. And so you're like, well, fine, then he's not real. I'm out. Yet this Canaanite woman, this woman that had no understanding of the Sermon on the Mount, had only an idea of what was said about Jesus from what she had heard from the murmurs, which, again, who knows how it was true or not. And she's like, I don't know. But she was desperate, and she repented. She turned from her pagan ways and ran to the Lord and Messiah of a people that she didn't even claim to be welcome to sit at the table with. She willingly said, oh, yeah, poor in spirit. I'm there. I'll just be the dog. I'll be the house pet on the floor, and I'll just take from the crumbs because just a little bit of those crumbs will do exactly what I need. And Jesus says, it is good. And so what Jesus was doing is he was teaching his disciples, look, your, your entitlement doesn't mean anything. He didn't at the end, okay, huddle up, kids. Listen, why did I say she has great faith and I haven't said that about you yet? You don't, like, shame him into that, but I think at the same point, like, it might have been interesting to see Jesus because where it was going, it seemed like it was going to the spot where, like, oh, he's not going to heal her. Like, okay, cool, he's on mission. I can, I mean, we can get behind that. The text says stay, you know, Lord's will. Okay, he's, he's staying with the Lord's will. Got it. Moving forward. Okay, yeah, house, the children of Israel. Okay, got it. Good. I'm one of those. Great. Like, oh, this all makes sense. And then he just, like, right at the last second switches it up. Just elevated to the table. It's like, no, no, yeah, I'm here to do something very specific, but these people are just as precious and worthy and welcome in my home. Just doing it in the right order. And so for you, where's God testing your faith? See, there were a number of parallels that I talked about six months ago about the Canaanite woman. The self-worth and her not seeing herself as worth much. The Canaanite woman knew that she was only a house pet in comparison to the children of God. They were both looking to Jesus for the answer, and both of them found that answer. But both of them had this extended period of running into and chasing into Jesus and watching him do something miraculous. And each one of those situations were horrific individually. The fact that, that she had been through so much was amazing. And then the last one was that believing he's worth the risk. He's worth approaching. Right? He, was, he was worth it for, for the Canaanite woman. He, she knew what she needed. She knew that he could do it, and it was worth the risk. I want to speak real quickly to the disciples in the room, mainly because that's the way that Jesus did this text as well. Is, although it seems like this text is about the Canaanite woman and her faith, the disciples were very much a part of this and an aspect of the story. And so I want to, first, I'm going to gently challenge you. If you're sitting in your seat right now and you hear something that she did, and you're like, wow, I'm so glad that I didn't do that, and Ooh, I'm not as bad as that person, or, I, man, geez, she really went off the deep end. Man, I, like, if you have those thoughts and they start instilling you in some entitlement or pride, stop it. Stop it, because you got to remember, the, the, the Canaanite woman's the one that got proclaimed great faith by the Lord and Savior. It wasn't the disciples in that moment. And so if you have some posture of, I'm just, you know, I'm better than that. Now, I, don't get me wrong, I pray for my kid's story to be that they never have to experience that kind of stuff to have that great faith. Right? But, but, but I trust God way more with my children than me. And so if you're out there and you're like wrestling with what you just heard, and you're like, I cannot believe that she shared that or she said that, may I just press into you and say it's probably because, because the enemy's telling you to be quiet so that he can keep you there. When, when Jesus is saying, no, 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 who cares what everyone else sees? Get down on your face before me and watch me be the author and the perfecter of your faith. Watch me do what I was here to do. Watch me do what I created you 
to do. Watch me do this. And so I don't know where you're at. We're going to have a few people from the leadership team and some other individuals in the back of the room. I'm going to have Jeremy and, and the rest of them come up, and they're going to lead us in some worship and stuff. But I, I want to I give you guys space to get prayed for. See, a lot of times you can hear a story like that, and, and maybe you're in this room right now, and you're like, oh, I wish I could just share this stuff like she just did because you see the freedom that she has. And it's not that you're idolizing her and, oh, she's so holy, but you're just going, I wish I could do that. You can. You can. You can, you can do that right now with, with safe people in the back of the room. You can, do that. you can do that with the person that brought you, their follower of Jesus. You can be in place to get prayed for. If you're in here right now and you're like, I don't, I don't want to let go of that. I'm too afraid, or I, I can't, or I feel like I just need to hold on to this aspect. You're, you're, you're robbing yourself of time with the Savior, so don't hold on to that stuff. Don't run from it. Don't be afraid of it, because ultimately, that's the value that you are to God as His child is the same whether you do or don't. There's freedom in getting rid of it. There's freedom to, you can be free to worship God unhindered. You can be free to find that faith that He's created in you, and so stop hiding in it. So if you need to confess, then confess. If you need to, if you're sitting out there right now and you're just like, man, I just, I don't care. Like, I think that, I think that this whole being real thing is silly. You're missing the point of following Jesus. You might have some right theology. You might check your box really well, but you're missing the point. And so I would encourage you to get prayed for. I would encourage you to, to confess. I would encourage you to not run from being real. I encourage you to, to find that area where maybe it's time you drop on your hands and knees in the dirt before the Lord and say, Jesus, I'm yours. Help me. And so as we worship now, I'm going to pray and then we'll close. I would encourage you to either go to the back of the room, get prayed for, sit and pray, stand up and sing, but do all of it out of the posture of I am a child of God and it's for him and him alone that I'm doing this. Father, thank you for, thank you for a story in each of us. Thank you for, for not, not closing a book on us, just closing a chapter. God, for all the ugly chapters in my life, it is so good to know that you are still rewriting a story to bring glory to you through me. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to use all of us. I pray for the, the individual in the room that's maybe their heart's beating a thousand times a minute because they keep holding on to this one thing and they keep sort of backhanded at confessing it or kind of thinking they can strong will something or they just kind of realize that they keep looking to the goddess of stones or whatever pagan beliefs that they think will solve it and they're just missing complete joy. God, for the individual that's finding their joy in a marriage or finding their joy in in, in a child or their joy in music or their joy in something else, God, as good as those things are, they are terrible and crummy gods. And so, God, I pray that their joy would be full and complete in you and you alone. And so, God, I do pray that you'd break chains. I pray that we'd be reminded of how good you are as a father that loves us in spite of our shortcomings. I pray all this in Jesus' name.